Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, Elmo's Wharf. Online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory, great warranties. Get the year started with a new vehicle. Well, you may need pre-owned inventory. Okay. You need it. You need it. That's the way it's got to be. Well, go to the place that has the Sunbury Motors guarantee. They go over every inch of every vehicle. And a service department to back it up. Routine, difficult. They handle it all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Do we have uh, Neil? Checking with you. We do, sir. Great. The uh, incomparable Neil Kulong now joins us for the playoff edition of Tuesdays with Neil. Sir, welcome. If there was a show that I was going to be on, it would be the one that over the fact that this team somehow has a playoff game future. As always, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. To quote Barry Manilow, it's a miracle. A true blue miracle. <laughs> but they're in. What's it, uh, before I get to the Steeler part of it, there are 14 teams in the playoffs. Seven played last year. That means there are seven teams that are newcomers to the playoffs this year, Neil. And I'll bet those seven teams are ones that somehow figured out their injured quarterback situation yep. or otherwise one or coasted into the playoffs on fumes like the Eagles. Yeah. And that's about where it is. All right, so the Steelers. Mason Rudolph has not turned the ball over. So let, let's just go with him for a moment. What is different about his approach to the game and how they're calling the game when he's out there that maybe we didn't see from Mason Rudolph before? I think the the calling the game part probably falls a little bit lower on what we should be looking at. Overall, um, if if you break him down in comparison to where he was before, he is remarkably calm now compared to what he was. I don't know. I can't speak to any reason why that would be. He He looks now like the veteran quarterback. Um, whereas before he looked kind of like a perpetual rookie in, in most of the start, um, he was too anxious. His feet were were a mess. Uh, his body his body wasn't fluid. He wasn't going you know hips to shoulders to hand. He he didn't deliver stuff. He wanted it to be aggressive, but his timing was usually off. It just it overall I get the sense watching him calmed himself down. He slowed himself down mentally, and he's making good reads and good decisions with the football. Now, that, that's not going to be a, a permanent thing, I don't think. I, I thought he uh, he threw one, if not two, against Baltimore that probably should have been interception. 
um, it, it's hard to look at that game without a, a, at least something of an asterisk next to it considering the conditions. Uh, but you can't ignore the fact that he largely outplayed his counterpart on the other side. And his counterpart, uh, Tyler Huntley, makes a lot more money than Mason Rudolph does as a backup quarterback in the NFL. So comparatively speaking, uh, he's been the best quarterback on the field for three straight games. Can you tell me yeah. the last time the Steelers had the best quarterback on the field in three straight games? It's been a long time. Well, it's oh, called Ben Roethlisberger. That's probably. I mean that's the last time, and it's probably not, and it's not his last <laughs> season. Yeah, last season, no, 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 not not three in a row. Um, right. Overall, it just it looks to me, and I, I, I hate to keep using this, but he's, he's Cinderella man. He's not the same guy that he was, and how that changed. I don't know. He just—he looks much more calm. He looks much more comfortable, uh, and he's playing for much higher stakes. Really, he has at at another point in his career, uh, being that he's entering free agency. So this is the end of his last season, uh, potentially. He has to earn a paycheck for next year. Added zeros to that paycheck as he's gone about it, yet it seems like he operates with a, a much stronger uh, sense of control than what he used to. And that doesn't mean he's not being aggressive. Um, he's, he's, you know, to be honest, I, I think a couple of those plays don't go the, the way that they went. Maybe it's not quite the same story that we're talking about, but throw to throw, uh, he just his demeanor is much more comfortable uh, his feet are, are calm. Uh, he's making decisive uh, reads of, of – he's making good throws on time. He's not flustered. He's not confused. He's just kind of going out and, and throwing the ball the way that it needs to be thrown, where it needs to be thrown. And on top of that, he's making some big-time clutch throws uh, in what Mike Tomlin would refer to the weighty downs uh, throughout the entire game. And it, it, it's impossible to dispute the results, but – you see the process at work, and it looks far better than it did. In other words, I mean, I don't think it's too dramatic to say Mitch Trubisky has never signed on this team if Rudolph played like this uh, when, when Roethlisberger was last hurt. I think right. they would just simply go with Rudolph, and you wouldn't have to worry about the situation that you're in right now. Um, you know, if it's in butts or candy and nuts, we all have a Merry Christmas. But <laughs> for where Rudolph is now, Remarkable how different he is, and that the the sense that I get is just that he's playing the game uh, in a much calmer sense of of mind than what he did previously. What has the running game meant to giving him a calmer sense? Well, I, I would say this: I don't believe a team's ability to simply run the ball automatically weakens a team in in terms of their pass defense. Um, there, there is a, a connected spirit between the two, but if anything, both positively and negatively, I would say the run game working as well as it's working has afforded Rudolph fewer opportunities uh, to throw. Um, therefore, his numbers stand out as being pretty, uh, pretty excellent. What was eighteen to twenty-two? In, in a monsoon in Baltimore, he completed the throws he had to make, but they didn't throw all that much. Um, 
you could look at that both ways. And also, and I think this was pointed out in the broadcast as well, uh, the safety having to inch up a little bit more. And it doesn't take much. Keep that in mind. These are, are uh, highly athletic people on the field. They can run pretty fast. The difference of three yards is massive. So if the safety is playing at a depth of 10, anticipating a pass, sheets up to seven because he's anticipating a run, you might get a little bit more of an advantage over the top, but it doesn't necessarily mean everything with the with the play call itself, the, the pass itself, uh, is going to work out well. So um, I, I think it helps the team perhaps more so than just the quarterback. People want to want to act as if it's you know old tech mobile. If you pick the right play, your entire defense gets roided up, and they all blitz the quarterback, and you know eleven guys are making the tackle at the same time. It, it, he still has a lot to do, even if the safety isn't really moving. And that's the guy that you're primarily looking uh, to, to influence overall uh, with a, a, a strong between-the-tackles uh, run game. He's got to get a little bit closer uh, to help with run support if they're getting four or five yards a carry the way that Najee Harris is uh, legitimately doing right now. And it, it, it helps the entire offense. Uh, the pass game itself, though, I think is, is really a matter of reading where coverage is uh, and finding an open receiver and delivering catchable ball. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I always laugh when you bring up techno bowl because the reason the reason I laugh about it is uh, is is quite simple. I think there are a lot of people out there because of either techno bowl or because of fantasy football that think that they can be general managers and they can coach. <laughs> I love that. I, I grew up feeling both. I know that. I, it's, it, the game is, is much more intricate than what it will appear when you're just watching it. And I, I, don't, I don't say that to be pompous, but there are a lot of little things that occur in football, and those are the things your, your coaching staff is seeing, uh, your, oppo- your opponents are seeing. Those are the kinds of things they're, they're planning for. So when you say... You know, they keep running it up the middle. I mean, up the middle right there is kind of a giveaway. There are a lot of places that are generally considered to be the middle that they could be running. Uh, there's a difference between an A gap and a B gap, even if it's just the shoulder of one player uh, to the other. Those are, are vastly different things, and they know what side this guy is going to go to on on off the snap at this down and distance when this guy is on the field, when this linebacker is over here, they, they're aware of all of that. Not as simple as just, you know, they ran it up the middle or why don't they throw to the middle of the field? Um, the middle of the field is a really big place, okay? It's, it, it, yes, it, depending it on how you want to look at it, it's a third of the field. You can't just say they're not throwing to the middle of the field. There's a reason they're not doing that. Now, when, when Matt Canada is running the offense, a big part of it is because the safeties are on top of the box and your, your crossing routes are not open. Those are the guys in the middle of the field. They're not throwing it because they're covered. You know, Just simply throwing it to the middle of the field does not ensure any kind of success. In fact, you might recall this when Juju Smith-Schuster caught a pass across the middle, and I think it was Vaughn Bell of the Bengals on a Monday night game a couple of years ago, tattooed him on, on like a third and five. Everybody in the stadium knew that pass was coming. Vaughn Bell certainly knew it was coming. He put one of the biggest hits I think Juju had in his career, uh, certainly to this point, because they threw to the middle of the field. You want to avoid those kinds of things. 
and they yeah. don't tend to happen uh, down the sideline. The sideline is a defender as well. Um, you've got a little bit more of an advantage throwing, you know, toward the paint where the defender isn't. Uh, they usually aren't. Um, it, it's it's just not a very simple game in a lot of ways, and I, I don't think people uh, they're they're not typically told that that's how it goes, but it is the easiest way uh, to understand mm-hmm. what a team is is trying to accomplish. Right. Okay, so the matchup with Buffalo. Buffalo has played really well down the stretch, and we got the full Josh Allen experience on Sunday night. A wild ride of big plays, turnovers, big plays, and they won. Uh, so how do you view the matchup with Buffalo? I think uh, if, if I was to pick who for the Steelers they could play and have the best chance to win, and how crazy this sounds, that this, I think, typifies the year. I probably would have picked Kansas City. Yes, I know I, agree. I wouldn't have picked I agree. Buffalo. I, I agree with both. I say that now. Maybe, maybe you can explain it to me. I, I don't understand how Sean McDermott's highly controversial. Uh, um, I don't know if you want to call it a motivational speech, a, a, a teaching lesson. Um, the the objects that he used to motivate his team in regards to uh, the, the the plane hijackers on 9-11, for that to have gone public and for the backlash to be such that he had to apologize for it a week. Yeah. That led the Bills to have a five-game winning streak. It's beyond me because I was honestly wondering, you know what, if he doesn't win this next game, they're playing Kansas City that week. If yeah. he doesn't beat Kansas City, I don't think they're going to the postseason. If he doesn't go to the postseason after all this, he's going to get fired. He's done. Um, it turned out that he might have put up next to Mike Tomlin the best coaching performance over the yeah. last three weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, and, and good on the Bills for responding to the, the, the adversity that they had. But they're the two seed. You realize that? Oh, I that know. just blows me away. Like, wow, this team was like six and five at one point. I mean, um, Joe and Joe's done a good job calling the game. And that, Joe Brady, Joe used to be here at Penn State for two years, so I, I know him. Uh, but I mean, he's done a good job, and he he seems to understand what Josh Allen can and can't do. He's done a good job of trying to get Allen back in the pocket. You know, and I don't mean that literally, metaphorically speaking. Allen kind of goes into to hyper mode in certain situations. And, I, and that was the, the label on him coming into the league. I think you saw a lot of that um, his rookie year. Brian Dable did a great job um, just kind of keeping him within himself and setting him up. Excuse me, more so the plays can do the talking as opposed to Allen's physical ability, if that makes sense. He catered a game plan around the throws that he could make instead of just relying on him to, to you know, play hero ball and on his own try to find 15 you know, guys 15 to 18 down the field. Um, Stephon Diggs is critically important to that as well because he can get open uh, at those distances by a pretty good margin. You work on the timing between those two and you have, you know, some of the best uh, um, quarterback to wide receiver seasons in Bill's history. And there's some Hall of Famers in there. So Dable did a great job of that. I don't think uh, Dorsey was, was as successful with it. But Brady, it, it seems to me, and I, I just watched Buffalo this morning, it seems to me they've gotten him more back into 
trying to, to you know play the game the way it's called as opposed to uh, making a play spontaneous when it doesn't need to be made spontaneously, if that makes any sense. Um, they're a dangerous team. They're playing much better football than they were. It doesn't look the way that you kind of think that, uh, you know, the, the dominant Bills, that, you know, all the highlights that they create. But they're, they're doing a better job offensively. But more than anything, their defense has gotten fixed. And that's the part that should worry the Steelers because they, the Steelers, um, their, their ground game is such that they're able to control uh, what they want to do, set up what they want in situations and, and continue to play ahead of the chain um, throughout entire drives. That's why they're scoring as much as they are. That's why they're much more effective in the red zone. Buffalo, I don't think, is going to, to lay, you know, lay down and let them run for 180 yards the way that they have. And if Pittsburgh can't do that, you're asking a lot out of that offense. And defensively, look, you lose T.J. Watt, you're not a good team. It's just that simple. Uh, it's really hard to have T.J. Watt on an overall dominant defense. Now, on, on the plus side, you do get back uh, your, your starting safety. You don't have to have you know the, the guys that you pulled off the street uh, playing in your back secondary anymore. Uh, that will help, but you're, you're not going to be able to get past T.J. Watt. So a, a huge part of this game to me is what the Steelers' offense is going to be able to do against a, a resurgent Buffalo defense. And then on top of that, figure out how you want to slow down Josh Allen. So um, uh, yeah. the Steelers are 10-point underdogs. <laughs> Seems pretty legit yeah. to me. Yeah, well, I'll say this where I give Sean McDermott the greatest credit defensively because he's the one now calling it. Milano got hurt. White got hurt. That's two of his top four defensive players a middle linebacker and a corner, and they've overcome that. I got to give them credit for that. Yep, it, it's uh, that's the toughest part of coaching. People want to make it out to be like it's always this forward thinking, the next play call type of thing. Uh, overcoming that adversity, um, obviously, players going down, and you needing to to you know retain as much continuity as you can with a backup, that's really, really hard to do. And it's also something that happens long before anybody gets hurt. Um, I, I had a boss who said this to me one time, and I, I've repeated it many times. I'm teaching you this because if I, if I get hit by a bus, you're going to need to know how to do this. Right. And I, I think NFL coaches have to operate that way, uh, even if they don't have the time to explicitly tell everybody. But there's going to come a point, Marcus Golden, that – J. Watt's going to be out for a game. You may as well prepare for that. Where are you going to be? Because let's be honest, you're not T.J. Watt. But this defense needs T.J. Watt. So what can you do to create that kind of impact on, on a team? That's Tomlin's challenge. McDermott, similar to Tomlin, has had to do that uh, largely this season uh, and you know probably last year as well. And they, they've been so... They, they, they fluctuate so much defensively. You, you see them dominate some games. You see other games. It just doesn't look like they know what they're doing. Um, it, it seems like he's found a good formula, and maybe that is because of the backups. You know, sometimes it's get the other guy out of here because he only does these certain things. Even if he does them really well, this guy is a lot better overall. I, I think you have some of that with Buffalo. Um, it, it's they're playing much better team football 
than they were. And that, that's going to be a real challenge for the Steelers up the middle um, with the, the strength of their defensive line. They're going to have to, to dictate the line of scrimmage. I don't think they can do that against a, a front as good as Buffalo. Uh, I want to ask this last one. The Dolphins-Chiefs game is going to be on Peacock exclusively. What's your thought on the NFL taking the playoffs and especially putting that kind of matchup on streaming when maybe all of America is not ready to do that? I don't think the playoffs is a good time to do it. I think that's as mild a statement as you're going to get from anybody. Um, I saw it, and honestly, I cringed. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> don't do that. Um, you're, you can't restrict the playoffs from your fan base. You get 13, you know, regardless of the time that they're being played, you get 13 primetime games with the playoffs. And a huge part of uh, your fan base wants to live and die with, with every moment that happens. Restricting that for the sake of, of selling um, a, 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 a digital platform, which you've already experimented with, you've tried you could do with you know random games at different times uh, to right. put that in the playoffs to me is is hubris. Um, you you don't have a reason to do that, and I'm sure they're justifying it by saying, well, that's where the audience is. Like, well, they're not going to be, <laughs> and you're going to have to deal with the fallout, not just from the people who are really going to be angry about it, but fans that uh, now feel disconnected from the league and the team because they they couldn't watch it or they weren't going to. Um, people, you know, if, if you want to do pay-per-view, do it. But I'd, I'd strongly recommend that you look at the NHL back in the 80s and 90s. They tried that. Um, nobody watched the game. You know, if they're not buying tickets to the stadium, to the arena, they're not going to pay to watch it at home either. And they didn't. Uh, it didn't work. And I, I, I think we are going to see similar results to that. And it, it's, while I'm a fan of trying new things, uh, being uh, innovative, especially in the, the technology space. Sure. Uh, this is what I, I feel like you probably know the outcome going into it. I don't think you're going to learn anything that you couldn't have logically uh, reasoned, um, maybe even just with you know some, yeah. some marketing data uh, to, to figure out how people would react to it. Exactly. Uh, to me, you know, I have nothing against electric cars, but they have a lot of limitations to them. That's like forcing somebody who wants a gas-powered vehicle which the which ninety three percent of the consumers are based on the numbers ninety three percent, and telling them they have to drive electric cars now. Like, but no, hold on a second. They, they, you're trying to force something you don't need to force yet. That's me. The, the reality of the world comes down to salesmanship, in my opinion. Yep. You know, my yep. my dad was a salesman. He taught me that it, it's always about sales. Um, if you have an idea, regardless of how necessary it is. If you can't sell it, people aren't going to buy it because what's yep. necessary to you and your mind is not going to be necessary to them unless yep. you convince them of it. Um, it, it. The electric car bit, I think, is, is a good analogy. Um, it's not ready yet to say that, so don't try to say it. My friend, always, and I mean always a pleasure. Appreciate you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong on the show today.